All right. This is the first episode of Two, Two Fat, Fat Guys and a Microphone. I'm Bart Nichols. I'm James Boyd. And we're here to talk about whatever we want. So actually, as I was thinking about this this morning, I thought, okay, what happens if one or both of us gets skinny? What the hell are we going to call it? And then I realized for myself, yeah, I'm probably never going to get fucking skinny again. Um, And then it reminded me of being a kid and I had to wear the husky size jeans and that was like a badge of dishonor. (laughs) <laughs> and I look you back, husky, young and, man. and even and even my mother would talk to you like being husky was a gateway to being fat. And now all these years later, you know what's a gateway to being fat? Not closing your mouth and not exercising. That's the the trauma of years of being fat shamed as a child. There, my friend. Yes. Yes. So anyway, so what's in the news? Joe Biden wins South Carolina. Is that going to be enough to move his campaign forward? I don't know. I think he's too old. I think there comes a point in time where you need to recognize that you're you're better suited to serve people by not serving people at all. And he is, I don't think he's, aside from whether or not it's going to push him forward, I don't think he's doing it for the right reasons. I think he wants... He wants his name in the history books again, and I don't think it's going to be something that is going to benefit the country. It might push him forward in the short term, but I don't think it's enough to sustain the nomination with the other voices that are younger, more moderate. I think the country's ready for something that's middle-of-the-road centrist in approach and really focused on looking at everyone as a whole, as opposed to one-upping each other and playing this game of political grandstanding to get your name in the history books. Yeah, I think at best he's going to chip away at the black and Latino vote from Bernie Sanders, but there's no way he's going to eat into the young vote that Bernie has. So all I see it doing is dragging out the process longer of declaring who the nominee is going to be based, based on delegate count. So it'll certainly, Super Tuesday will certainly finish up probably Amy Klobuchar and Elizabeth Warren, maybe Pete Buttigieg. Um, but yeah, I Biden's not the right one. Um, and I'm not a big Bloomberg fan. I'm well, he's buying the election. Yeah, That's all he's, he's doing. <clears throat> yeah, and, and Bernie, unfortunately, people are always going to label him a democratic socialist. His policy ideas are good. They're a little extreme. But when you stick the word socialism on it, that's all that President Trump needs to campaign against. And he says as much in the... You know, the State of the Union address. Yeah. Where he's like, no, this country will never be a socialist country. Well, there it is right there. It's just modern-day McCarthyism. Yeah, Instead of much. communism, it's it's now socialism, and anything socialist is evil. And, you know, fundamentally, communism and so- socialism leads to communism. There, It's a form of socialism, but it's an extreme form where, you know, there's military takeovers, there's... You know, ruling by force, and if you look at some of the democratic socialist nations like Sweden and Denmark and Norway, they're very laissez-faire in how they let people live their lives, but they're very focused on 
making sure that everyone is taken care of and set up for success. You know, with healthcare being an issue, with the mental health issues that we have in this country, and the fact that the coronavirus is really showing us how broken our system is, we need somebody with those progressive ideas to come in and, and change how we live so everyone can be on the same footing. I'm not saying give people everything for free, but for the love of God, you shouldn't have to go through the troubles that you go through just to get your appendix up or to get your gallbladder removed or to see a neurologist or to get an EEG. I mean, there's so many things that, that should be covered because you pay taxes and not because an insurance company doesn't think it's in your best interest when a, a qualified medical professional who's been practicing for decades says, this is what my patient needs just to have an arbitrary organization come in and say, no, that's, that's the problem. That's the issue. We're too slow to react because we're at the insurance company's beck and call. And so who can bring that to us? Bernie. Who's not going to get the opportunity? Bernie, right? He's not going to get the nomination. He would have won in 16. Hillary wanted her, her moment of fame. She wanted to be the first female president. It's overdue that we have a female president, but Hillary wasn't the right choice in my humble opinion. And we need to find somebody who can bridge that gap. I think Mayor Pete's doing a great job. He's a little white for some of the ethnic demographics that he really needs yeah, to he, woo. Yeah, he doesn't pull well with, with blacks and Latinos. He's, he's, a, he's, just a, he's a really smart white guy, which I think in general, we're just tired of really smart white guys being in charge. We want to see more diversity, which yeah. is why you know, I'm, I'm shocked that we don't have a woman in office now on the heels of our first African-American president with Obama. What, what stopped us? Why did we take that moment to say, we're moving forward for eight years, and now let's go back to what we were doing? Um, I'm kind of confused and at a loss as to why that happened. But I think um, most of the people that want to vote and want their voice to be heard don't want Trump. They don't want Bernie. They don't want Biden. They don't want Warren. They want somebody who's younger, who's centrist, who doesn't care about the party affiliation other than just getting them in office. They want to work across the aisle. and You know, you know who the sleeper's been in this whole thing, in my opinion, is Amy Klobuchar. Because she may have thought in the beginning that she could be president of the United States, but I'll bet you dollars to donuts that in the back of her mind, she's like, if I set this up right, I'll be the centrist woman and I'll be a shoe-in for vice president. So she's probably had this in her mind for a while that... On the outside chance she could pull it off in 20, but she'll be a major contender in, in 24, whether the Democrats get in or not, because she's shown that she can poll, maybe not as high as the other candidates right now, but if whoever becomes a Democratic nominee doesn't pick her for vice president, I think they're shooting themselves in the foot, because yeah. she brings that centrist view. Well, you have to look at Obama. He was that anomaly within politics where you come out of nowhere, you are thrust on the, the national stage, people fall in love with you, and they vote you in in your first attempt at president. Most of the time, people run for president more than once before they get in. You have Reagan, who ran multiple times before he was elected. You have other presidents. Lincoln was another one who lost multiple elections before he started to gain traction and get in into powers of our position of power you have you can't you have to let it develop organically which is 
why it's encouraging to see Klobuchar or Mayor Pete and these younger folks in there. They're not going to get it because of the establishment. And the establishment is politics. It's not white, black. It's not male, female. It is the political machine in this country is not set up or motivated to have people who are young. It's about paying back favors. It's about scratching your back when you scratch mine. It's not about helping the nation. It's about fitting the means to an end for a private organization in the Republican and Democratic National Committees. You know, why don't we have more people on the debate stage? Why don't we have independent voices with the two dominant primary competitors? It's because they want to keep people out instead of bringing people in. Well, sure. And, you know, I look at somebody like Bernie and he's brought so many ideas to the stage and wouldn't it have been better if maybe he just focused on one or two you know healthcare for example it crosses so many boundaries and so many different people and I was just talking to somebody yesterday who said to me you know when I think about things like free college tuition I'm in my mid 50s my son's just about to graduate college what do I care about free college tuition Yes, do we want people to have chances in this country? That's great. But it's not an issue that I want to get behind. I want to get behind somebody that's got a legitimate chance of taking an idea around, say, health care and actually getting it to fruition. But, you know, free health care for all or, or free Medicaid for all, it's not going to work yeah. because not, not enough people are going to get behind it. Well, not, I, think, I think Bernie's problem is he's got, you're right, too many things. And so you can't, what's his policy? Like if you ask his supporters, what is his policy on healthcare? They're gonna say healthcare for everybody, but what does that mean? How does it, how does, how is he planning on instituting that at a national level? What does it look like for us to really have a robust system that is better than what we have now? Ideas are ideas. Let's put it on paper and let's, let's educate people. The good thing that he's doing is he's trying to hit those major population demographics with the different ideas. I think he's got too many things and he's not specific enough. He's just, He's a quirky, non-misogynistic, non-xenophobic version of Trump. He's just, he's out there. He says things that are outlandish to catch your attention, but where's the substance? What's behind it? I think if he would have picked three things that would have been a good cross-section of voters that he could have really dialed into and focused on, that would be where that grassroots support for this election would be. He doesn't have it. It's not as strong as it was in 16. Like, his shot sure. was 16, and the DNC screwed him. They fucked him. They, they took it away from him. They made it to where yeah. somebody who, yeah. by all accounts, and the polls were showing, wasn't electable in Hillary Clinton and put her at the front because they were paying back favors to her. Well, who sure. knows what she and Bill did? I mean, there's all the stories about people not doing what they want and ending up dead and you know suicide by two bullets to the back of the head and things like that. I don't know if that's true or not, but they're a powerful force in American politics. And when they come and do you a favor and they call those favors in... Even if it's not the best thing or the most popular thing or the right thing to do, you're going to call those favors in. And if that means you sabotage one campaign to put theirs above it, that's what happened oh, in 16. And it reached far beyond the DNC. I mean, I remember CNN just quit covering things from Bernie. Just yeah. out and out quit covered. So, you know, when you have your hooks in somebody like Debbie Wasserman Schultz, you know, she's going to do exactly what you tell them. But, you know, if you go back to this idea of health care, I'd have a better time getting behind a candidate if all they were saying to me was, you know what my focus is on health care? Lowering prescription drug costs. Because I think about That's it. That's a start. I'm a type 2 diabetic. If I became a type 1, it costs 1300 bucks a month yeah. for the insulin. 
I can't afford that. Yeah. I'd rather get behind somebody that's not going to fix the whole thing, and maybe it's not perfect, but you've struck some deal with the pharmaceutical industry so that they lower their costs. I do appreciate the, the, the candor of Bernie when he says, I want single payer for all. Is that he wants to eliminate insurance companies. And then there's the debate about what happens to the people that work for the insurance companies. Well, they're talented, they're capable, they'll find jobs elsewhere. We have so many jobs that are unfilled right now because unemployment's the lowest it's been in 20 years. The jobs are out there, people will rebound, they'll, they'll, they'll land on their feet. If you're one of those people, it's scary. So you want to stick with what you have, but we need something different. And I think, you know, you're right with prescription drugs. It's it's a huge money maker for a small group of people. In addition to that, we need better federal oversight. We need to shake up the FDA. We need to make sure things like the opioid crisis and the Sackler families of the pharmaceutical world can't be so powerful that they they force addictions on people where people die at alarming rates and they walk away with a slap on the wrists a billion or so dollars in fines which is chump change to them and then they get away scot-free there are more people have died because of the opioid crisis than have died in iraq and afghanistan oh in the same in the same amount of time over over two hundred thousand deaths for opioids and overdoses and we have now, granted, they're still tragic deaths regardless of how they happen, but what, five or 6,000 U.S. servicemen and women have been killed oh. in Iraq and Afghanistan. So it pales in comparison. So, you know, we're, we let it go because we're told it's good for the economy. Purdue Pharmaceuticals is bad for, for everyone. They're, they're not bringing any value to our society. They're causing death and chaos and destruction, and they're making billions in the wake of it all, and they're walking away scot-free. You know, if you, you have to start to build an infrastructure and a system that allows for people to benefit instead of a very small handful of elite, elite billionaires. I'm not saying let's walk away from capitalism. That's, that's no, not what I'm saying. But, but, but you can't... have to have some checks and balances in the system that, that when you see something that's so rampant as what they're doing, that there's a mechanism within society to be like, no, not okay. Here's the line. You sure. crossed it. You're done. And, and you know, I'm not against capitalism, but I remember conversations with my dad when I started to lean more to the left. And, you know, he, at his heyday, was upper middle class, top of the upper middle class, made good money, saved money. And his basic response back to me was, why do I want to give my money away to somebody that hasn't earned it? And I see points in that, but the problem that I see is that people on the Trump side of things, the wealthy 1%, they're not interested in what people that want better things for, for all people are interested in. They just are like, it's my money, I want to keep it, and if you can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps, well, then that's just tough shit for you. And that's the hard part for me is that I don't want to give things away, but you at some point have to try to do for others to try to make things better. Otherwise, this divide keeps happening because right now they're systematically dismantling the middle class. Oh, yeah. Middle class doesn't exist. I mean, you, if, if you as a household make $150,000 a year, if you went to college to be able to put yourself in a position 
to make that kind of money and you had to take student loans, you're not middle class. You you are you are probably paycheck to paycheck. You're dealing with high insurance premiums. The 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 low copay programs and insurance policies are going away. Now it's high deductibles. Um, you know, it's 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 almost impossible to live a middle class life anymore because of how the system's set up. And you know, I, I don't want to make this like a rag on boomer session, but my father is 60, he'll be 66 years old, 67 years old this September. And he and I were talking about this and I said, you know, in order for people to, to be able to be set up for success in today's job um, environment, in, in today's business world, you have to have for entry level jobs, for most of them, not all of them, for most of them, outside of some trades, you have to have a four-year degree. And in order to get a four-year degree, you have to go to college at state schools. Um, so take University of Kansas, for example. That's where my daughter's boyfriend is going to school. It costs $24,000 a year to go to University of Kansas. Of that, 25% roughly is tuition. The rest is room and board and books and fees and technology and computers and everything else that goes with it. So if you were not from an affluent family and you had to take student loans from a state school, which is a good school, it's not a bad school, but it's not Harvard, it's not the Ivy Leagues, it's not Brown, it's not Stanford, it's not Yale, <clears throat> you're walking out with around a hundred grand in debt. For a state school. Again, I'm not saying that everything should be free, but if we don't make it easier for people to get the education that's required for most jobs now, how are we expecting them to grow and move forward and to save money? You can't buy a house in your 20s and have a good savings account and have a slush fund and have an emergency fund and doing all the things that you know people in the finance world say are what you should do to set yourself up for success financially if you're saddled with 60, 70, 80, 100 grand in student loan debt when you're 22, 23, 24. There's a reason why young millennials and post-millennials and those the Gen Y and Gen Zers out there are staying at home till they're in their mid-20s. They can't afford it. They have a degree, they make 10 bucks an hour. You can't get an apartment on 10 bucks an hour anymore. You can't yeah. pay your bills. You can't. And, you know... I'm a prime example. I'm 55 years old and I'm still paying on student loans from graduate school. That shit's probably going to be with me longer than a, the luggage I have uh, because it just never goes away. Mm. And what they try to do is they'll saddle it up with the next person that's in your family that's alive. So, you know, fortunately for me... Oh, it is. It it's is. Horseshit. Because it, statistically, I'll go before my wife goes. Yeah. And... They'll just try to come to her and say, well, hey, this is your responsibility now, too. And, and it's not even that, that you borrow money for school. Like, I'm okay with the federal government offering. Like, I think, I think grants are underutilized. I think the federal government relies, and, and I worked in higher ed for five years, so I, I've seen the belly, of, I've been in the belly of the beast, and I've seen the internal workings of, of multiple colleges and universities. And, you know, when you, when you exorbitantly increase the rates of tuition at, a, at, a, at twice the rate of inflation, so twice the rate of what the cost of living increase is for those people that are coming to school. And you do it year over year over year over a 30-year period of time. It becomes unsustainable. In addition to that, everyone pushes federal loans. There are grants out there, but the grant system needs to be revamped. It needs to be bolstered. You need to have more money for people who are young, 
who want to go to school to be able to not have to pay things back. If the government does have a loan program, instead of charging market rates or higher than market rates for you to repay your loans, it should be half a percent or a percent. Whatever the interbank trading policy is for loans, which for those of you that don't know that, banks have special rates with each other, which they loan money to each other. And that typically is between about a half percent to about one and a half to two percent. And it ranges and fluctuates based off the Fed. But that is, that's where we should peg student loans. Student loans and the repayment and the interest earned off student loans to our federal government is what's being used to fund these unpopular programs and these initiatives that most of the people in this country aren't on board with. Wars in the Middle East, you know, all of the things that are happening outside of our control that we bitch about but do nothing about is in part funded by programs that are, are geared to make us cash cows for the federal government. But, you know, the other thing they could look at, too, is, you know, service payback. So when I went to college, I got on an Army ROTC scholarship, and the payback for me was I had to give them two years for every one year of scholarship money that I got. And I've seen it recently in the work that I do for the company that I'm with. There's a huge problem in rural veterinarians right now because they can't recruit in people. So why not go to a K-State and in their vet school have a program that you can sign up for for no tuition or reduced tuition and you give them a two-for-one payback. They get their education. They don't incur as much cost. The vet gets them for four or six years afterwards as a payback thing yeah. so you know it's it's people wanting to get creative and willing to stop being bipartisan which that's the 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 campy and chic thing is to be divisive and to dismiss the ideas of others there isn't a place there aren't many places in this in the, the kind of political dialogue of our country where people are willing to admit when they are exposed to a new perspective that's enlightening, it's almost as that's a weakness. There is no conversation anymore. It's just preaching at. Yeah, and I'm honestly, I'm not a Republican anymore, but I miss like the Reagan era. Reagan wasn't perfect, but you know what? Reagan would sit across the table from Tip O'Neill Speaker of the House, Democrat, and work shit out. And and they're not willing to do that right now. I mean, the granddaddy of them all is Moscow Mitch. He's got a stack of legislation that's probably <laughs> two feet high sitting on his fucking desk that's already been passed by the House that he just simply won't look at. And I'm thinking to myself, what if I went to work this week and I just said, you know, I'm not going to fucking do anything while I'm here. You know, I'm just projects gonna sit here. Do next week. Ah, fuck it. Yeah, you know what? Next Sunday when I'm sitting around here talking to you about stuff, I'm gonna be fucking unemployed. Is what I'm gonna be. <laughs> so I don't get it. It's, I don't get it. It's true. How if you're if you're from Kentucky, how do you just look at that and go, "Yep, I'm sure getting my money's worth out of him as my senator." Well, it can, I mean, I'm not saying anything against the people of the great state of Kentucky, but I think, I think there's a power struggle in that state, and I haven't really looked too much into it. But my guess would be when you have somebody who's towing a very extreme party line like Mitch McConnell, and then you have somebody who at times has shown themselves to be very laissez-faire and libertarian in Rand Paul, 
there might be some behind the scenes things that aren't that are in, contributing to that stalemate and the stagnation there and moving things through the Senate. So, well, but but there's no the lack of accountability in the federal government right now is is staggering. You know, you and I in the work that we do, we talk to people a lot about accountability. So we know what it's all about, and that shit ain't happening no. in Washington D.C. right now. No, Maybe no. they'll hire us as fucking consultants. <laughs> they can hire us, and we we can drain the swamp, as Trump said, uh, <laughs> but actually drain it and pull that plug on that that son of a bitch. It's it, it just it blows me away, and it's one of those things where again you have to. You know, as we as we look at the decisions we have to make and who's the best person to set us up for success, I don't think that it's Trump. And I don't think it's going to come from the Democratic Party. And because of how we are so forced and almost obligated to vote for one of those two parties, it's not going to get better until we figure out a way to keep people who are better suited to play bridge at a bridge club in Florida out of office. I'm not trying to be ageist, but there comes a point in time where there is cognitive decline as you age. And if you're 70 or 75, you're too damn old to be president. There needs to be an age limit, just like there is a minimum age to be president. There needs to be a maximum age to be president. And we need to figure out what that is. Is it 55? Is it 60? What are the stipulations around it? But by God, we can't have people who are 70, 72, 75 running for president the chance that they're going to do something stupid or forget to take their meds or have a, a spike or drop in blood pressure and make them do something stupid or just fucking die in office is so much greater than somebody who's in their 40s. You know, they, some of the best presidents we ever had were in their 40s. Clinton was elected in his 40s. Mm -hmm. JFK was elected in his 40s. Obama was elected in his 40s. And they will forever go down in time as some of the greatest presidents to take that role and be in that place in the Oval Office because they could see everyone's side of the issues. They weren't just looking at it from a very narrow scope and generational mindset. And, you know, it's just, we, we, have, to, we have to let the boomers ride off into the sunset. And if you want to be in the House or in the Senate and you, and you want to serve your time and you you have a career and you retire at 60 because you've done well for yourself and you want to give back and you want to serve the public and you want to run for house or you want to run for the Senate, more power to you. We need, we need term limits in the house. Um, we need term limits in the Senate, Yeah. but there shouldn't be an age restriction as far as a maximum age there. But when you are in charge of a $4 trillion a year economy, the world's largest military force, that is going through so many changes that is looking at how to leverage technology to win and fight wars, that's looking at how to use technology to make education, healthcare, and just our way of life and our standard of living better. You can't do it if you're 75 years old. You don't understand the technology. You don't understand the needs. You don't understand the wants and desires of the people who are gonna utilize that. And you, you just need to retire. Sorry, yeah. Trump, you're you're too old. I know. Bernie, you're I too know. old. Warren, you're too old. Biden, you're too old. And if you're you all just too fucking old. If you, if we don't get past this divisiveness that's going on, 
we're pushing ourselves further and further toward so much divisiveness that some really bad shit's going to go down in this country and then we're going to have big problems on our hands and that's the only way we're going to make a course correction. If if we can just get past that, we can start to make some minor course corrections so that we're not, you know, full-on anarchy on a daily basis. And I think if he gets reelected, he being Trump, if we haven't all fucking figured that out yet, um, that there's going to be some bad shit go down in the next four years. Yeah. I mean, really yeah. bad shit. The, the white nationalists, the, the fringe, the those really out there yep. doomsday preppers who are praying for nuclear war and apocalyptic conditions, they'll come out of the woodwork and they will, there'll be people that you didn't expect. There'll be people you've worked with for years. There'll be, you know, people you consider friends and family that will shift and feel emboldened to show their true colors. And we, we can't, we can't allow for that to happen. Trump, what he does really well is he speaks in the perfect sound bites for his base. Yeah. If there's anything he does well yeah. that he is has dialed in on is how to say the right series of 10 to 12 words that punctuate a feeling that his base and those crowds at his rallies hold true to their heart. The Democrats can take a page from Trump's playbook in learning how to be that direct and concise with what motivates their base. The Democrats are trying to be too uh, too intellectual, too philosophical. Well, they're trying, they're, to trying be, they're too fucking nice. But yeah, they're trying to be nice, but they're also trying to show that they're the intellectual alternative. Think about when you were in school, who got the girls? The jock or the nerd? Well, sure. The jock. Trump is, he's going for the girl, and it's the United States of America, and it's the office of the presidency. And he's playing the role of the jock. Well, and, and he's playing the role of the bully, too. How do bullies finally get taken down? The little guy gets beat on enough on the playground that, that he, he snaps fucking his snaps shit. his shit. And then all of a sudden, you know, it, it's, it's extreme at that point. And the Democrats are just trying to go... You know, if we just talk sensibly to the American people, they'll figure it out on their own. Nope. Hate to tell you, you're up against a fucking bully. You need to snap on the playground. And I don't see Bernie snapping. I don't see, eh, maybe Bloomberg. Bloomberg. But Bloomberg, he just... He's got a hot temper anyway. He's a hothead. He's a billionaire. He does, but his appearance on TV and stuff, like in the debates, he's just so fucking stiff. I mean... Loosen up. Get your yeah. gloves off, and, well, and let's let's. And until he can have a better reason for why he promoted and encouraged stop and frisk in New York when he was mayor, that's going to be his Achilles heel. If he doesn't say, come out and unequivocally say, you know what, I was wrong. I I backed a policy that was that was incorrect. It was racist. I didn't see it at the time, but I've learned my lesson, and I'm not that person anymore. Like people remember that shit, you know. What was that? It was Eric Garner was the guy who got strangled and choked out for selling loose cigarettes on the street. That was a stop and frisk activity. They thought he was doing something illegal. They had no cause. But the policy was if you see a man of color on the street, stop him, frisk him, and see what's going on. See if you can pin something to them. And the man was choked out with a chokehold that was not authorized to be used by police officers in New York City. And he died because of stop and frisk. Bloomberg is just as bad as all of them. He has the money 
to buy his way onto the stage. He's a bully too. Sure, he's he's totally a bully. But again, if the Democrats don't take the gloves off, and by taking the gloves off, think about it. Trump ran an ad in South Carolina using recorded messages from Obama. I mean, why aren't people running ads with the recorded soundbite of him telling that he could just grab any pussy he wants to? Because grabbing by the pussy should have kept him from going into office, but it actually helped his cause. Like, it's, it's, it's so ass-backwards to me that something oh, like that, and the evangelical Christians who oh. espouse family values are the ones that voted for grabbing by the pussy. Yeah. I, and I, 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 just, I, I simply, I simply have never been able to wrap my head around how you can claim to be a Christian and just excuse the behavior of someone who's clearly not acting like a Christian. If you had somebody in your fucking congregation that acted that way, their ass would be out. Yeah. And I've, I've asked people who I know who ascribe to Christianity that support Trump why, and they say that he, he is, is, is. He is God's way of, of making things better. And they, they, they explain away his behavior and his activity as saying, well, God wants it to happen. So even though you don't like what he's saying, it's God's will, which I'm sorry. Like, I was raised in a very religious and faithful household, but that's bullshit. That's a crock of shit. You're mitigating the circumstance and trying to deflect your bigotry and your xenophobia and your hatred and your racism by bringing God into it, you're a fucking hypocrite and get out of my face. Yeah. Sorry. You can't call yourself a Christian and say that you are a person of Christ and support Donald Trump. They're diametrically opposed ideologies. They, they, yeah. they, 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 it's oil and water. They don't mix. And when you try to make them mix, they won't. So as much as you try to... It's like people who would try to pray away the gay, right? It's that same bullshit that they bring to try to justify their actions and behaviors with religion as a guise. Sure, because you never hear him, (coughs) excuse me, um, when he's talking out in public, Trump never talks about God. Trump never cites the Bible passages in anything that he's saying. So he he talks a good game about, you know, wanting to support all those Christian ideals, but he doesn't, he doesn't act it. He just talks the talk. He doesn't walk the walk. Yeah. (coughs) Yeah, Sorry. There was a, a, on Netflix recently, there was a four-part documentary about Trump and how he rose to power. Um, and it, it went back all the way through to when he was a, a younger man in real estate in New York City and kind of chronicled and followed people that have been his friends for a long time or are ardent supporters of his and people who either they crossed him or he crossed them that aren't his biggest fans. And it was a really interesting four-part series. And... And in part of it, when he got into politics, the kind of the, the the catalyst for him was at the National Prayer Breakfast with Obama after the whole birther incident. Yeah. And Obama yeah. just lit him up and just took him to town in front of everybody. And then Trump went to Minnesota to visit Jesse Ventura, who won on a very um, outspoken campaign on the Reform Party's ticket for governor of Minnesota. And he was really one of the... The, the only successful third-party candidates in the last hundred years to win an office that was outside of a local city council or a school board type position. And 
Members of Ventura's campaign said that Trump didn't care about policies. He just wanted to know how you approached people. What did you say? How did you say it? And he's modeling what Ventura did by being loud, abusive, abrasive, aggressive, and basically shooting down other people's ideas without offering alternatives. Now, Ventura is different because he actually had some policies that helped benefit the folks of Minnesota. But when Trump is not in office, is he going to be, are we going to be better off at the end of this year than we were in 2016? No. I don't think we are. You know, look at the people in agriculture whose tariffs, who have have massively affected and impacted their ability to turn a profit in agriculture. Like, we have to have farmers, we have to have food. And when you put tariffs on other countries, and other countries say, we don't want your food that you grow too much of, those farmers either have to let it sit and rot in the fields, or they have to try to sell it at a discount, which oftentimes are losing money. In addition to that, there's migrant worker issues because of the wall and his policies on immigration. So even if you had enough crops in the field, you're not getting people to pick it. Sure. And it's rotting in the field. And he's thinking that the subsidies he's giving them is, is making up for that. We shouldn't have subsidies if he would get rid of the tariffs. Yep. No? Yep. It's, we have a, another problem there where we have people that don't eat. We have people that are food insecure all over this country. We are not the richest nation in the world. We are not the most prosperous nation anymore. And we are no longer a superpower. That's China. Yeah. China's got us, got us by the balls, and we have to dance their dance. And when we have so many problems at home, somebody who's so reckless with economic punishment of, of friends and neighbors and allies and enemies, that's not looking at how that trickles into our economy and how that ripple effect influences people all over this country, you have a recipe for disaster. The economy might be better, but it was better under Obama. Like, Obama inherited a shit show. There was a recession. And it took all of Obama's presidency to get it to a place where unemployment numbers were stable, where people's wages were rising, where people were getting raises, where things were starting to be normal again. And Trump is taking all the credit for that. Well, yeah, and he's normalized the behavior. So after, you know, three years, people hear this stuff on the news and it just kind of rolls off of them. And... With that in place, if he gets reelected, this is where you're going to start to see bigger shit occurring. Mm -hmm. Violence on minorities, violence on, on homosexuals, homosexuals, and people are just going to let it roll right over. But what he's going to do is, as the violence ramps up, he's going to clamp down more control. So all of a sudden, you're going to start to see your civil liberties dry up. Mm -hmm. And that's where I'm going with the whole idea of... It's going to force people into something really bad that does a course correction. My fear is, is that the course correction is going to be like a Mike Pence Gilead shit, and I'm going to be hanging from the wall, and, you know, yeah. my wife, God lover, is going to be one of the Marthas, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a black swan event. It's, it's kind of like the coronavirus is now. When you think of, and I, I forget the author's name who came up with this. It's not the movie that was out with, was it Scarlett Johansson recently? No, Natalie it's, it's, Portman. Or Natalie Black Portman. Swan. Yeah, it's it's totally different. It's it's a it's an economic and political kind of philosophy that there are things that are unplanned for that are so great in nature that shake the foundation and core of what you know to be true that force that massive and substantial change. And you know we're gonna see, and maybe coronavirus is one of them with our medical system. You know, nine eleven was one of those. Even though it, it was tragic, and you know thirty five hundred, thirty eight hundred Americans lost their lives on the attack on the Twin Towers, 
those are those events that, that make everybody wake up at the same time or simultaneously. 330 million people are like, whoa, like we got something has to change. And you're going to see something like that and probably multiple things like that if Trump's reelected. Yeah, for sure. I, I don't like being doom and gloom, but there's nothing. The people that are, are coming out of the word work now are the tip of the iceberg. You know, there's more termites in the foundation oh, of yeah. that ideology. And then once once Trump is reelected, he's going to fan the flames. He's going to stoke the fires. He's going to knock those walls down. And everyone's going to come out of the world. Well, sure. The really well-organized wackadoos are going to come out. Yeah. The really serious neo-Nazis, the militias. Yeah. Right now, you've just seen your garden variety. I mean, look at any footage from any Trump rally it's just your garden variety get my tiki torches yeah hillbilly racist fuck yeah. that you know just is a little more emboldened to complain about things you know so yeah and and you're gonna see people and these aren't gonna be the people that are are hiding behind their computers and their keyboards like these are gonna be people who have have been brought up with a way of thinking and a belief set that will shock you to the core Sure, sure. And they won't think anything about going up to, like, my brother. He's gay. He's a professional. He's married legally in the state of Pennsylvania. And and those crazies will be the ones that will go up and, and put violence on my brother or his husband. Trust me, my brother has been in tears with me multiple times about the idea that he's really afraid that they're going to negate his marriage at some point in time here in the future when... They figure out a way in the Supreme Court, which allows Pennsylvania Republicans or conservatives to overturn their law. And you're right. The people are just going to go out there and they'll be emboldened to do shit that beforehand was yeah. completely unacceptable. Yeah, I bet the Klan is loving this shit, dude. Oh, yeah. This, is, you like, know, you got, this is like the Klan. This is David Duke's wet <laughs> dream is what it is. <laughs> you got people who are steaming their hoods oh, and they're ready to go. Hell yeah. And Hell the yeah. Grand Dragon Wizard fucks are out there. Yeah, I mean, they're yeah. circle jerking at their little parties around, yeah. you know, burning crosses and shit. They're just, they are ready. They're they're just so primed oh, to come Dry, out dry cleaners word. around the South are going crazy oh, yeah. right now because yeah. they're bringing them in and going, light starch yep. on my, <laughs> my, my hood. And Press paid. them nicely for my Sunday rituals. I know. I know. Lumber liquidators <laughs> has got their fucking pine boards on sale for crosses. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's, I should laugh about it. It's really fucking sad. It's really think about sad, it that we're in 2020 20, and we're still and dealing with that. Shit. I mean, Jesus, yeah. the House finally just passed the lynching, anti-lynching law that's yeah. been sitting around for God, I don't know how long. Yeah, I, I, I want to say that up until recently, I think it was one of the mid-southern states, maybe Mississippi or Alabama, Arkansas. There was one that still hadn't officially ratified and signed the Civil Rights Amendment, like from the 60s. Oh. You know, it's like you've it's got like, states down there where you can still marry a girl at thirteen. Yeah. that's so fucked up. Yeah, it's so completely yeah, like, fucked up. Our life expectancies are a whole hell of a lot longer than they were in seventeen ninety five. I know. Let's let's know. fucking update our laws to match. You know oh, what medical technology allows. It, us to it's do. like when they pass these abortion laws, where well, it's it's okay that the girl got raped because that's a child of God, and I'm like, no. No, it's not no, okay that no. the girl got so, raped. So, if the girl was a child of God, God would never impose that upon somebody that He made in His image to carry a child and to raise a child that was forced upon her by some horny, drunken piece of shit 
that thought she was a hot piece of ass, you know, they thought they could just grab her by the pussy too, and now she's got a kid. Like, you should never, you should never force that on somebody. You should give them the option. You should never force that on anybody. I mean, think about it. In 80 years, we've gone from that we have nothing to fear but fear itself to it's grab okay to grab pussy. by the pussy. Yeah. And holy shit, it just blows my mind that, you know, we haven't evolved further than that. We have plenty of reasons to be fearful, but I think we also have very plenty of reasons to be optimistic and hopeful, too. Yeah, but we're going to have to encourage the younger people. They, they have to step up. They have to step up. Mobilization for, the, for you know, Gen Y and Gen Z is so different, though, than, I mean, like, you know, I'm on the front edge of the millennial generation, Gen Y, and... I work with folks who are newly graduating in the workforce. Their understanding of how to connect and how to network is vastly different than mine. And we grew up with the same technology. They just had it younger. They, the way that they mobilize isn't through, you know, marches in the streets and hitting the wall and the National Mall in Washington and holding up signs and picketing. They are, they're digital all the way. And so how do we get that group to get out in the streets? How do we get them to use something more than just Twitter or Facebook sure. or Instagram sure. or TikTok? How do we get them out of that digital space and get them engaging in the real world? I That's get, the key. Yeah, it's getting more younger people. And by younger, I mean in their 20s that want to be the next AOC and, and run for office. Because... Yeah. You hear on the news that they're all super supportive of Bernie, but I don't ever see video bites of young people out there campaigning. Mm-hmm. I see baby boomers. I see Gen Xers. I even see some of the millennials out there that you see are supportive of Bernie, but I don't see like 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds that are actively out there mobilizing. They grew up in a time where they saw the writing on the wall and they saw the bullshit behind the scenes. You know, they, they, they went to Oz and they pulled back the curtain and they saw what was fucking behind there. It was just a little shrill little man that was calling the shots. They watched their parents lose their houses, lose their retirements, lose their jobs, lose everything in the recession of 08. They looked at the promises that society had made as far as how to live a good life and what's out there and go to school and all that. They see through the bullshit. So until you can get somebody who also sees through the bullshit and can connect with them, that's when change is going to happen. That's why AOC is so popular. I mean, she, she just she called it for what it is, and she said, no, everything's fucked. The system's broken. Here's what we need. This is what we need. And she was a bartender, unknown, against an incumbent representative in New York City, and won. And is blazing trails within politics in this country. Well, and so well, I love her or hate her. Yeah, that's love the her truth. Or hate like, her. That's she, what she's doing. You can love her, you can agree with her, you can disagree, but you have to look at what she did. And she spoke the real truth of people in this country. Yeah. And people were like, yes, you're right, I'll vote for you. And that's, yeah. that's all it takes. But getting through the political quagmire and the bullshit to find those people and give them the platform, that's the problem. It's not there. And, you know, she's shown that people are capable of doing that. It's just a matter of 
can we get more young people to get out there and actually run for office? I mean, yeah, Pete Buttigieg is a young person, but he's, you he's know, too I'm, white. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm he's talking, too about, white. I'm talking about people in their twenties or early thirties. They're the ones that are going to lead the nation uh, before too long, because if they don't, then nobody can sit around and complain that the old white guy is still running the nation. We need a mayor Pete though, to be the bridge. Yeah, we need a mayor Pete to take the baton and take the torch from the boomers who are just a borderline senile, and pass it to the folks who give a shit and who are like, no, here's what's fucked up about the situation. Here's what was screwed up. Here's the mess that we inherited in its its truth and unvarnished form. And here's what we're gonna do to fix it. The rest of us who contributed to what's happening now need to be comfortable in giving those younger generations and those younger folks the reins and be like. We screwed it up for you. I'll be more than happy to help you fix it. But you're in charge. Don't listen to me. I want to listen to you. And we need more AOCs on both sides. Yeah. Not just on the left. We need them on the right. We need centrists. We need libertarians. We need green partiers that are that are young, ambitious, willing to have a conversation, but holding true to the holding firm to the truth of what's happening now, mm-hmm. which is climate change, which is healthcare, which is. Unnecessary and incessant wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. There's if Iraq and Afghanistan are our targets, why are we bombing shit in Syria? Like it doesn't make sense. Bring that money back. We have bridges and roads and infrastructure that are on the verge of collapse. It'll cost if we would have put the money that we've spent in the Middle East on wars into infrastructure in this country, we'd have high speed rail coast to coast. We could have had high speed rail coast to coast after trillions of dollars of bombs have been dropped. I know. In the Middle East. Like, where are our fucking priorities? Where are we spending money as a country? That's where our priorities are. And right now, our priorities are nation building and bombing hospitals in Middle Eastern countries who really, when we look at it, don't have any strategic, geographic, natural resource or political value to this country. We're just out there because we've got bombs and, you know, there's a surplus today, kids. Let's bomb some shit. I know. And it's old white guys. I mean, it's embarrassing for me to be an old white guy because we got a bad rap. Most of them are just that way. There's some validity to what people think about white guys in this country. Oh. We've had power for way too long. For sure. Far too long. It's time to... I'm, I, would, I am gladly willing to vote for anyone who's not an old, crusty white guy as long as they want people to be healthy and get health care. Either free, a single payer, that's affordable through our taxes, that they want to stop fucking wars in the Middle East and bombing shit and that want education to be affordable so people can get the means and resources to live a good life and to rebuild the middle class. If, If you came to me as a candidate, gay, straight, white, black, purple, green, blue, alien, I don't give a fuck. If you came to me and said, this is what I'll do for you, you have my vote. You Like... Hands down, you have my vote. I might not agree with everything outside of that, but if you said, those are my three policy positions, I have a three-plank policy plan, these are what I'm going to focus on, and here's how I'm going to do it. You have my vote all day long. I will knock on doors. I will hand out flyers. I will hit a phone bank for you, but we're not seeing that. It's little bits and pieces here and there, but we need that in one person. Yeah. I think this election is going to be the bridge for 24, which is you're going to see a lot of young people in in the 24 Especially election. if Trump's re-elected. House, Senate, President, you're going to see that. Yep. All right. All right. We've had a good run here. Yep, it was a good one. If you're listening to this out in the ether of the internet and the interwebs, we appreciate you spending some time with us. Let us know your thoughts and comments. Let us know if we suck or if we're awesome or anything in between. 
and we'll be back at you with another episode here soon. This is the conclusion of the inaugural episode of Two Fat Guys in a Microphone. microphone.